Hey bosses, before we get started, I want to tell you about two exciting things. One is the next Nomad Summit Conference has been announced, and this year it's going to be in Cancun, Mexico. You can get more info at nomadsummit.com, and I'll tell you more during the break. Also, if you haven't signed up for travel insurance yet, and you are currently or planning to be a digital nomad, I'm excited to tell you, world's first ever travel insurance by digital nomads for digital nomads has been created by Safety Way. Go to nomadsummit.com slash insurance to check it out and sign up. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Привет и добро пожаловать на подкаст «Путешествуй как босс». Привет and welcome to episode 219 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here in Waligama, Sri Lanka with Nikita and Anastasia. Welcome. Hi, Johnny. It's such a pleasure to be with you here and now in this wonderful place. I love Sri Lanka and I love Waligama. That's why I'm spending so much time here. Yeah, actually, so uh, you guys... So the way I guess we met is you guys have a co-living station here with uh, Samana. What, what does Samana mean? So uh, basically in Russian, it sounds like smena, uh, or uh, if you translate it into English, it means shift and shift in both senses as uh, to take a shift, for example, to take someone's shift, uh, shift of work, and also a shift in... Um, life a like a change as well so it has both meanings same as in, in russian as in english but uh, also in, in russian it has this feel of um uh summer camp so shift uh smena is actually also yeah a, like a session in russian summer right, camp yeah right. we have this uh romantic vibe of uh, basically a summer camp for adults that we're playing around with yeah i actually like that a lot i think One of my biggest regrets as a kid is never going to summer camp. Oh, poor thing. Yeah, because you always see it on TV. Like, right. camp, ooh, the water. <laughs> I hold you in my heart. Yeah. And I just never had it. And now I feel like being a digital nomad or living this lifestyle is kind of like one long summer camp. Yeah, it is. Uh, for some people it is. Uh, and we're trying to recreate this feeling uh, in some way because uh, our project is not a traditional co-living because it runs in sessions and you can only join uh, for three or two weeks uh, depending on uh, the schedule. And you have to stay until the end because there's a framework that we're trying to work around and we're creating this um, whole structure where people can meet each other, hang out and communicate and work together. Yeah, kind of like a summer camp for digital nomads. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And how, why, why did you choose Waligama out of all the places in Sri Lanka? Uh, you know, um, back in 2015, we first visited Waligama, and it was much smaller than now. And there was like two or three places where you could rent a board before. And we came here in 2015 and realized that this place is amazing. We want to come back. So when in 2017, we first started the project, we were searching for a place. And then we're like, oh, we've been to this wonderful place in Sri Lanka. We'll just try it there. And here we are. Well, it basically, the right answer is a beach break. <laughs> That's the a wonderful beach break as well. We love surfing too, yeah. And it's nice for beginners. And it's a little crowded these days, but it's still a beautiful place to learn how to surf. Yeah, I think for me, it's been the best place in the world I've been to to learn how to surf. You know, I'm sure more advanced people, you know, enjoy other beaches in Sri Lanka. But actually, even this morning, I was taking photos on the beach and the waves were huge. Right. So you, you still get giant swells mm -hmm. here. But it's nice because it's a soft sand beach break so there's no reef there's no rocks you know it's it's easy yeah and the water's warm as well which is kind of nice yeah. i mean it has veligama have has everything you need basically it's it's you still see nature animals but it's it's big it's populated it's you know you can you have restaurants and places to eat and you know shop and all that and it's freaking cheap too it's <laughs> so cheap it's Yeah, it's crazy because what I like about Waligama and the reason I chose it, besides just the, the easy surfing, is unlike other beaches like Unawatuna or Marissa, you know, the kind of more popular beach destinations in Sri Lanka, here it also has a town center where locals mm -hmm. live and hang out. 
So it's actually funny. Sometimes I'll bump into someone that lives in Marissa, and they said they came here just to buy a phone charger because in the tourist places, right. they, they don't sell anything like that. Yeah, they, they don't sell it, or if they do, it's two or three times more expensive. So basically, if you're living here, uh, your basic needs are covered on a much, much cheaper value, and that, that's a nice bonus. Right, and you still have a chance to get involved in local life, to see how people live, what's the lifestyle, what's the cultural differences, and, you know, it's, it's quite interesting. For example, we have a Sri Lankan lady cooking lunch for us. Well, first of all, it saves a lot of time, so you don't even have to go outside to, to get your lunch. You can just break for, have a break for 30 minutes, take your food, enjoy a little chat with people, and just go back to work but also it's local like it's local non-spicy though uh sri lankan food yeah i think it has much more value uh, because being a digital nomad you're always trying to kind of like dive into the local culture and li really live in the country but not just visit right. uh, any like popular beach or something like that and uh, when you're here you have all these interactions with the locals the prices are cheaper so i don't know it's it's, it's a cool digital nomad spot that's what i think yeah i really like it here and it's funny that you mentioned how much it's changed in the last four years because I'm predicting that in the next, you know, upcoming four years, it's going to change even more. I mean, right now there's one or maybe there's two food trucks by the beach where they rent surfboards. Mm -hmm. I'll guarantee that in four years, there's going to be 20 of them just on that road. But, you know, maybe it's kind of a good thing too, right? Where a lot of the locals want the tourism. They mm -hmm. want to kind of boost their economy. Um, it's, Sri Lanka is a beautiful place. I think it's a nice alternative to Bali. Right. It's cleaner. You know, people are still friendlier. But I, I think that regardless of if we digital nomads popularize it or not, it's going to get popular. Yeah, definitely. And um, I don't think it's a bad thing when people are opening local businesses in places like this, when foreigners are coming, digital nomads are coming and basically gentrifying the place. Because uh, for me, I mean, I like it here and I like all the local spots, but sometimes I want a nice, like, I don't know, poke with fresh tuna or even a craft beer, which is impossible to get in here. But I think as soon as people start to move here and open businesses, and it's already starting, there are a couple of really cool uh, spots that are owned by Europeans and foreigners and they're amazing I mean they're doing some nice parties in there and there's some decent really co cool and interesting dishes in the menu so yeah it's getting nice. well I think we have to be responsible because it's still a very new country to the tourism uh, scene right so like it it hurts a lot to see you know all the European and American and like, Russian girls in bikinis and the town, town center it's not supposed to be like that and then of course I mean, it creates all sorts of troubles for young generation, for just older generation, for everybody. Like, they're not used to it. And I think we have to be very cautious of what we do here and what values we bring. Because, I mean, there, there was 30 years of war here, like, what, 10 years ago? So they're very, very fresh to the all the tourist uh, stuff. And I think we are very responsible to what happens next. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. I actually think it's cool that there's signs... I think they were put up by the Wolagama Surf Club where they label the bikini zones and non-bikini zones. And it actually kind of makes sense where, you know, when you kind of get into, when you're on the beach, it's completely fine to be in a bikini. It's, you know, encouraged to be in a bikini, right? They want you to enjoy yourself. They want you to surf. They want you to sunbathe. That's why we're here. And then basically once you get into the town where locals live and hang out, there are signs that say, okay, no bikini zone from here on. And... You know, I think it's it's kind of like a nice balance, right? Because, for example, let's say an extreme where they're like, no bikinis on the beach. People just want to come here. Or right. people would just disregard the rules. True. Yeah, there should be a balance. And uh, I think it's one of the uh, one of our goals is to keep this balance as well. And we should be responsible as well as uh, digital nomads and actually traveling. People that are traveling bringing changes to a lot of places. Yeah. And you know, it's funny that... We brought up the, the, the word gentrification because normally when you hear it, it's always in a bad context. You know, people, you know, when you gentrify a neighborhood, mm -hmm. you know, people uh, can't afford to live there. They move out. Right. But at the same time, just, you know, kind of uh, the more extreme version of gentrification is like colonialism. And I was speaking to some local Sri Lankan guys and I was asking them about like the Dutch fort in, in Gale. Mm -hmm. And because to me, it's 
by far the most beautiful city town in Sri Lanka. You know, it has really nice yeah. architecture. All the shops are super nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. You know, you can get really nice coffee. You can get really nice ice cream and gelato there. It's not, you know, the typical Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And I asked them about what they thought about colonialism, mm-hmm. almost expecting you know them right. to be like, no, it's terrible. We were under oppression. We were slaves for so long, you know. But the Sri Lankan guy was actually saying, no, it's you know, it was it has its good you know pros and cons, but mm-hmm. overall it was really good. It brought tea, it brought tra- you know railroads and trains. It brought a lot of the kind of nice you know nicer parts of what we have now. Mm-hmm. So I think this is kind of similar with gentrification where. Sri Lanka, you know, didn't really have good coffee until kind of the tipster tourists like us came in. Well, or they say before actually British guys came, it was a, Ceylon was a coffee island Mm -hmm. and they had coffee instead of tea all over the place. And then, well, some people say that some kind of bug happened, some, some kind of insect ate all the coffee or some people say that, well bug ate all the coffee because the British wanted their tea so they just switched to the tea industry. Yeah, I wouldn't know now but it's definitely uh, a thing that uh, all the businesses should be responsible all the lo- uh, all the Europeans that are bringing businesses should definitely be responsible for their local culture and preserving uh, all the local things and all the good things in the local culture and just bringing something new and trying to make some good changes. Yeah, and you know sometimes like I also feel like as tourists we because we're willing to pay a bit more Sometimes what happens is we get like a better version of the local culture. Mm-hmm. Like for example, when, you know the typical lunch here is rice and curry, and if I walk into the local town past the bus station, I can get it for a hundred rupees, right. which yeah, is crazy. so cheap. It's like fifty cents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I almost feel bad sometimes how cheap it is, but at the same time I'm sitting in a dingy, dark, dirty hallway. You know, and the food, it's, you know, so tasty, but it's really basic. It's like cold rice, cold curry, and like a couple sides. Mm -hmm. Versus if I have rice and curry at a local shop that's more geared tourists, like where I live, you know, literally just behind us, it's five times the price. It's 550 rupees, which is still only (laughs) 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 $2.50. But the shop is clean. It, the the curry, you know, the rice is always warm, it's fresh. The curries are always fresh and warm. And they just give you, you know, it's still Sri Lankan curry. Maybe they make it a little bit less spicy for us. Yeah. But they just make the best version of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing where they're kind of uh, pushing, you know, the best of Sri Lankan culture instead of just making it as cheap as possible. Well, what you can buy in the street is actually food for fishermen because Viligame essentially is a fisherman town, right? So it's it's food for somebody who doesn't have a wife, for somebody who came from the sea and wants a quick quick uh, meal. So because everybody else has wives, right? They cook for them at home. So that's that's where you get best version of the <laughs> Sri Lankan food. All right, so I need to marry a Sri Lankan girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, or you get some other way to, to cook them for you. Yeah, but it's so nice that this place has all these options. That's that's what I think should be in a, in any great place where you can travel to and especially being a digital nomad when you have all these options if you want to go to a european cafe and pay like i don't know five bucks for a really good coffee you have that or if you want to leave cheap and you can buy a curry for 50 cents you still have that option as well that's what's great about this place yeah i I like that as well and that's a big reason why i like chiang mai in thailand is you have that as well you have super cheap local places Mm -hmm. and then sometimes just next door or a block over you have a super nice hipster place with craft beer you you know maybe a smoothie bowl alvo toast whatever you want (laughs) nice yeah so where else do you guys have some stations so we now have locations in um, four places that are currently running at the same time. Uh, one is here in Veligama, another one in Kopanyan in Thailand, another one in Bali in Ubud, and uh, we're just launching a new location in Berlin right now. Uh, this is going to be a little test run though, just for a couple of weeks and to see how it goes. But yeah, we're kind of like expanding pretty fast since our launch in 2017 because we function as a community and basically any member that uh, attended one of our locations we always encourage them to uh 
come back as administrators or facilitators or even open their own locations, which basically been happening for the past couple of years. So until we have eight eight locations? Eight locations, yeah, but we close them for off-season right. uh, in a lot of places uh, and then reopen them again. For example, right now we're going to be re reopening our location in Montenegro in uh, the end of April when the season is going to be starting there. Okay. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I think that's cool. I mean, I attended your kind of introduction um, right, like, elevator what? pitch night. <laughs> yeah, and it, I guess it was a transition where you have a new set of people coming in, mm -hmm. so everyone can kind of figure out what everyone else is doing. But what was nice is you also invited the past uh, attendees uh, and also some of the local or you know traveling digital nomads mm -hmm. like myself. Alright bosses, I wanted to quickly tell you more about the Nomad Summit and also the travel insurance I had mentioned earlier. So, so the reason why we chose Cancun, Mexico for the Nomad Summit this year is because even though we liked Vegas, we really want to take advantage of the fact that as location independent entrepreneurs, as digital nomads, we can travel the world and go to better, cheaper, warmer places. And Nearby Playa del Carmen is the Cancun airport where we're going to be hosting this year's Nomad Summit Conference right by the beach, we're beautiful, we're gonna have tacos, tequilas, and if you stay the week after, we're all gonna head down to Playa del Carmen to co-work together, and who knows, go scuba diving, go snorkeling, and really enjoy our time. <clears throat> if you wanna know more, just go to nomadsummit.com, you can sign up, you can RSVP on our Facebook, you can buy pre-sale tickets right now on sale, and regardless if you're coming to the Nomad Summit, if you're already traveling or you're planning to travel somewhere else, I would highly recommend everybody get travel insurance, especially travel medical insurance. Safety Wing has created the world's first travel insurance really specifically to cover our lifestyle and our needs for long-term travel. Go to nomadsummit.com insurance to sign up and check them out. Uh, basically we have um, a framework of events throughout each session and uh, some of them are open to the public uh, like the one you've been to uh, and each location is not just a place where our people live or like a little co-working spot just for our team but we're trying to make it like a hub for the whole digital nomad community in the area where people can attend the events network with each other and just learn something new and interesting and just meet new people yeah, I think it's really cool and really well needed, especially in places like Wellagama, where there is no community at all. Right. You know, there's no co-working space. There's no cafe where everyone hangs out at. Uh, there's no. There's not even an online presence for. Well, let me tell you, Russians yeah. got discovered. We yeah. do have an online chat. It, yeah, it's, it's very pretty big. It's very interesting. We've been trying to find uh, more digital nomads traveling in Sri Lanka, um, basically like speak English, but. Uh, they were really hard to find, mm -hmm. but all the Russians, uh, there are a lot of Russians here. I guess like Sri Lanka is one of the most popular destinations in the past couple of years for Russians to travel. And uh, all the Russians, we have those all those chats in Telegram and WhatsApp and uh, Facebook groups just for Russians. And it's so much easier to find Russian-speaking people here than actually to drag all the English speakers from all around the uh, island. Yeah, what I actually thought was really fascinating when I went to your meetup is how big the Russian nomad community was. Because I had no idea. I've never, I don't think I've ever met a, you know, like, the, I never got tapped into the Russian huh. nomad community. I just assumed there was just one nomad community and we spoke English for right. whatever reason. You know? <laughs> That's you know? interesting. And uh, I, I think there's also a big German nomad community as well. Uh, and you know, maybe there's nomad communities for all languages, I just don't know about them because I don't speak the language. But it's um, really interesting to see how huge it, the Russian nomad community is here in Sri Lanka when the English nomad community is really just like three people <laughs> that are here for three weeks. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is definitely interesting and I can tell that in any country uh, if you pick, for example, Thailand or if you pick Philippines, there are chats like that uh, in Telegram just for the Russians that don't speak English at all, that are digital nomads and still traveling, not knowing English, which is surprising, but they're still working remotely, working for Russian companies and doing some cool projects. 
And you can find those in any country, and Sri Lanka is not an exception. There's a huge community of Russians traveling in here. It, and it helps a lot. Like, you come and you already know where to eat, where to go. We have, you can ask any question in that chat. So actually, that's the reason why we started our our project, Mena Station, because we, we wanted people who share our values, who share our lifestyle, because it's very helpful. Like, what's gonna, what are we going to do in a few years where we're going to when we're gonna have kids. We still wanna travel, like how we gonna, like how they gonna study, you know, how they gonna go to school. I don't know, but I have community, so we will probably figure it out. Yeah, that's really cool. And actually, so I just took a course called Learn Cyrillic in three hours. <laughs> it took me nine months to finish the course. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult, yeah. yeah. But now I can kind of read Cyrillic. I think it'll be way too difficult for me to join a chat and keep up. Right. But it's I'm I'm one step there. Yeah, nice, nice. There's we, a huge community. We have uh, actually uh, one guy from our from Smena Station is American, but he speaks very very good Russian, and he's saying it was such a hard language to to learn. Yeah. yeah. Really I actually good. bumped into him and his wife uh, at the restaurant next door, right. just here. Um, and actually, what's funny is the other people that live in this homestay are all Russian families. Oh, okay. So they travel with their kids, their babushka, their grandmother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what's really funny is they all cook every meal. Mm-hmm. And like not just like, you know, making a snack or something. I, I feel like they brought their entire kitchen with them. Right. And yeah. I... Yeah, I and I know this because when I first arrived, the kitchen here, the communal kitchen, was pretty bare bones. There was mm-hmm. just a burner and like not much else. But then all of a sudden, I saw like electric tea kettles. Then I saw a toaster. <laughs> then I saw a like pressure cooker, crock pot kind of thing. Right. And I'm like, where did this come from? And the I was speaking to the to the lady, and she was like, Oh, we brought it from Russia in our suitcase. Is that? like insane or is that normal <laughs> no that's that's actually a thing and uh within those chats that i just mentioned there are uh russian food deliveries just in russian and just for russians with uh, russian w- food with, with russian food within those chats uh, even though uh, we are, are kind of accepting of other um cultures and uh, kitchens basically other food I guess there's there's a lot of stuff that just Russians like to eat uh, and to cook, and just the culture of cooking at home is very big. That's that's what I think. That's an interesting detail about it. Uh, also, uh, I spent a lot of time in uh, in New York, and no one really cooks in New York. Like everyone eats out, and uh, but. A lot of Russians that I know, they cook for themselves, they cook for their friends, and uh, one of my friends, he's a chef, and he's always saying how he he's puzzled and amused by all these Russians cooking all the time. Yeah, but I can see it being just part of the culture of just saying, you know, hey, I want to I wanna eat what I eat. And I think it's different. I mean, I'm assuming the Russian families coming here on vacation are not, you know, backpacking around with their right. crock pot they're flying directly from russia it's a direct here. flight yeah and that helps yeah and then they check into this place for three weeks they set up they cook and then th- three weeks they pack up and they go back are they coming for three weeks is, I, is I, that yeah actually I, my, my russian is not that good so i haven't right. been able to ask right. well in in russian we have this term it's called uh zimovka in russian which is you can kind of translated like wintering uh, and it's basically leaving Russia uh, like middle of October and for the whole winter because winters are severe like and super cold in Moscow and most of the country so going to Thailand or Sri Lanka or any warmer place spending the whole winter here and then just coming back to to Russia and a lot of people work remotely doing that uh, that is quite popular but also a lot of people just save all their money during the whole summer they're working just to save money for this wintering thing yeah I think that's really cool and actually I was surprised when you you know when I heard what kind of business you guys are in, it's kind of it's kind of similar. Where you have a seasonal business, right? And you work really hard for you know half the year, and then the other half you get to travel and work on these projects that you like. Yeah, it used to be that we don't we just work for 
four months and don't work other eight months but now of course it's not like that we have other we have smena station going on year round and you know i i I believe that you cannot spend more than 30 days straight on the beach doing nothing people are creatures that are meant to create and you know do interesting projects so yeah we do holiday ornaments we run this project remotely we sell in russia and united states um yeah, basically, a seasonal business is a great thing. I would certainly recommend anyone, uh, if you don't know what to do, start a seasonal business because, uh, well, you work hard for several months a year and making a lot of money, and then you have the rest of the year, which is free for you to explore some new opportunities to travel around the world. Uh, I don't know, maybe meet other new people and try out some new businesses. And uh, that's one of the reasons we came up with uh, our community and the co-living projects, Mena Station, because we had a lot of free time uh, not doing selling Christmas ornaments in <laughs> summer because no one's going to buy Christmas ornaments in summer. Uh, and we just were volunteering a lot, um, coming like bringing new ideas into our heads, and they formed this uh, idea of a digital nomad community for Russian, which is kind of like a summer camp and whatever together. <laughs> I'm also very proud to say that our business is a family business. So we brought uh, Nikita's mom, my mom, my, my family, my sister, my father all together, and they're working and helping us with ornaments. It's actually keeping relationship. Uh, it's a very it's a big big issue for digital nomads. It's a quite a challenge to maintain those relationships, especially with your close family, because they always call you and they're like, "Where are you? Why aren't you coming home?" and all that. So we don't have that because we're always in touch. We always talk to each other uh, via chat or like discussing some kind of business. So um, our mothers are not housewives anymore. They are involved in something they like. They are involved with us. They're very proud of what we do together as a family. I think that solved like half of our, of our issues. Yeah, I think that's super cool. And just even the fact of being able to work online or remotely, you know, from a country like Russia where the average salary, you know, if you're yeah. in a in like a smaller like village or you mm-hmm. know, if you're not in Moscow or St. Petersburg, the salary is probably not very high and people really want to leave for the winter, but they can't. Right. But if they can work online, and they can go wintering, you know. I, th- I think Americans we call it like snowboarding, you know, <laughs> to Sri Lanka or somewhere else, and still be able to make money, especially when they, you know, normally would be a housewife. This is a this is really cool. Yeah, it certainly is a good option for a lot of people, and in general, uh, it's just like like not just some easy things that are easy to learn uh, that people are doing uh, studying in Russia and then going off travel. There are a lot of web developers from Russia and uh, basically I'd say maybe like a third of Silicon Valley are like developers and all the IT workers from uh, from Russia or at least that know Russian. So I mean it's quite obvious that a lot of them after spending several winters uh, working in an office in Moscow with all the traffic and all the prices they think like well I can do the same stuff remotely and they just take off and travel. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's it's super smart and it's it really is the future and it's not just in the US. I think a lot of people falsely uh, assume that tech startups, you know, the digital nomad movement is primarily an American thing or, you know, like an English speaking thing, mm-hmm. but it's in it's in every country now. Well, I also have to say that uh, it's very—it was very easy for us to build such a thing with the Russian-speaking community because, uh, essentially, culturally, we we know how to live as a community. Like culturally, I—I I think everybody in our so- circle. Uh, is willing to give up some personal space, is willing to give up some kind of comfort because living with 12 other people is uncomfortable sometimes, right? You do get a lot of benefits and you do get lots of inspiration and meaningful connections and like all sorts of useful information, but it's also, it's a challenge. Yeah, and I think if anything, I mean, I know you guys really are trying to make Samana Station more international and more English-speaking, and I, I appreciate that because it's nice for me to be able to go to these events. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, it's probably just way easier if you just keep it a Russian-only like co-living space. Yeah, it would, it would definitely be much easier. And also, 
uh, we're kind of getting lazy because we have a big enough demand uh, of Russians that are uh, basically filling all the spots that we have uh, for all uh, all four locations uh, that we currently are having around the world. But um, I feel that there's so many ideas that can come alive if we just mix uh, mm -hmm. Russian community with the rest of the world and all the other communities not just you know like Americans for example or Australians traveling but I imagine there are simple and simply like amazing and similar communities in India in uh, Philippines in the Arab countries uh, anywhere that are willing to travel that are willing, willing to work remotely and live together and coexist and bring some new ideas to life I think it's also important for us because Mena Station is uh, very different from other co-livings we experienced because we we do have a structure, right? And we do have uh, strong values and principles behind uh, the whole project. So I'm a little bit disappointed what's happening with the uh, co-living industry right now in general, because most of the time you get this beautiful website with a beautiful slogan, awesome people come surf the wave hang out with awesome people but awesome people is not a community right it's, it takes way more than that than just surround yourself with the uh, 15 random people so what we do we do have a um, system of selection uh, yeah we personally interview each and every person that comes to the project because we want to know that they're actually sharing the same values mm. and they have the same view uh, of the things and they really want to not just go to a place and for example in Sri Lanka there are a lot of people traveling here just for vacation right but we're specifically searching for people that are willing to uh, come up with new projects that have some kind of remote work or project that they're working on because that will allow us to create this uh, atmosphere of co-creation. Yeah, and it was pretty cool hearing the different projects that people were working mm -hmm. on. I mean, unfortunately, I, I was only able to stay for the first half with the English speakers because my Rushki uh, is uh, <laughs> not the best. <laughs> but I, it would have been so fascinating because I mean, like, what what are some of the industries or kind of businesses um, and types of work that people are doing in, in like right now at the house at the villa? Uh, so, yeah, we have all sorts of different people. That's one of the things that we're also trying to create. We're not really um, taking all the people that are doing the same thing. For example, uh, there's no Smena that has like 20 social media managers. Right. Uh, but uh, it's always an interesting mix of people because, for example, the mastermind groups that we're having each session, there are several of those. Uh, they work better if you have a very different mix of professions and skills that people carry. Uh, right now, for example, we have a writer that's uh, actually a guy from the United States that speaks Russian uh, and reads and writes even in Russian a little bit. Um, we have a girl that owns a little marketing agency. Uh, there are, I think, two social media managers, uh, a video editor. Um, Somebody who sells photo and video content on the stock. Also, a girl that works with uh, Google search engines, and she's kind of like a developer for those. Um, guy who runs an online school for all sorts, all sorts of um, skills. Yeah, a couple of business owners, and the businesses are very different. So it's it's always, always an interesting mix of different skills. A photographer, of course. There's always a photographer or a yoga and teacher. And a yoga teacher. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, and I'm glad that this kind of movement exists you know i think um being location dependent being like you know working online working remotely can get a bit lonely sometimes right so it's nice getting plugged in and i, I actually kind of like that you your program is only three weeks because even though i like the idea of remote year i probably i wouldn't want to commit to one year of moving around so much and then kind of being around in one group for one year versus three Three weeks, it's enough time to get to know everyone, and then it seems like everybody kind of just sticks around afterwards to hang out anyways. Right, they just rent something outside of our, our house and just stick around. Yeah, yeah we, we kind of position the, the project in a way as a trial for some people that never tried a co-living before, and they want to see if it, it's actually a thing for them, because some people, they, they can just live 
on their own in an apartment it's it's all fine right it's not for everyone and other people that want to try the whole digital nomad lifestyle as well because we have cases of people taking vacation for a couple of weeks from the office uh, trying to work it uh, from some Sri Lankan place or uh, or other destination and then uh, after two weeks in Smyrna station they just like uh, changing their ticket and uh, <coughs> saying their boss that they're not coming back and <laughs> actually like staying after Smyrna with the community renting some place nearby we were it's looking, a common thing we're looking into uh, making corporate Smyrna for for uh, for businesses or for corporations but then we quit on that because the the rate of people quitting after the project is 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 too yeah, big. Like, <laughs> a lot of people going freelance, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine like the, those companies would be pretty upset. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk about back to the, the seasonal business because as someone who does e-commerce, one of the first things that we try to avoid when we pick a niche for our dropshipping stores is we don't want seasonal businesses mainly because you know for the, the other eight months, we don't have any money coming in. And I think it's really cool that you basically did the exact opposite and you're like, you know what, let's make this work and let's not just sit on our butts for the other eight months, mm-hmm. but let's actually, you know, use that time for something else. But do you ever feel like during those eight months, um, it's always kind of like on your mind or the back of your mind and like you never really get to rest from it? No, actually, exactly the opposite. That's something that I like about it, because uh, if uh, I'd be doing the same thing year round, selling ornaments uh, 24-7, basically, I would burn out. I would have burned out maybe several years ago. Uh, And this uh, flow, the seasonal flow, uh, gives me a chance to really work hard and be excited for three or four months doing the project, and then I'm super tired of it. I really don't want to see any ornaments. I just like, I'm doing some taxes and some paperwork after that. But then maybe like four or five months later, after this whole kind of like season finished and I spent several months traveling around the world, I'm starting like to miss this vibe of like this excitement of like selling all these things and this christmas mood as well because we're selling christmas ornaments and i'm like i really want to go back i really want to do this again and again and this whole flow actually feels amazing and that's what i like about it and where do you guys sell it um like on your website or through in stores we do have website and uh, we do sell through social media and um on other online platforms yeah we do etsy we do amazon handmade and um, we actually sell a lot of stuff on the markets there are a lot of seasonal markets uh in new york um like the smaller ones in brooklyn or there's artisan fleas in new york which is a pretty popular one uh we never tried the bigger ones like the bryant park for example because it's kind of like a big investment for us we're not sure if we're ready for that yet uh but yeah it's it's a lot of markets some um some online um platforms and it's wholesale some corporate orders uh, yeah we have several stores around the states as well and the same thing basically is happening in in russia but it's two separate businesses because that one is owned by our family and that is doing the same thing and uh, the american side of it is owned by us and we're doing this in the states same thing on our side and where are you like sourcing the products like who's actually making the ornaments uh, we have a team uh, that is working for us that is basically uh, doing it's still handmade uh, we because the first collection we created just as gifts for our friends and family and we gave it to them it was like seven years ago eight years ago and they loved it and we're like oh well if they like it maybe other people would want to buy it so we just tried selling it and people loved them as well and we started selling those things uh, and yeah we, we uh, they're, they're now made uh, in the same way that we used to make them uh, seven or eight years ago it's handmade it's natural glass and with some natural flowers inside and like a meaningful wish on a tag that's attached to it yeah and it's also our grandmothers are involved in Russia they grow flowers in their gardens and they do it anyway because they like it but now we do use what they produce and they're also very excited to be part of it and then you know we will be sending them pictures from the all craft fairs we go to from all like 
huge chains were in and they're like oh well that's that's pretty cool you know they get excited as well mm-hmm. yeah that's really cool Did, are they are you shipping the products from russia to the us or no no we have two separate productions set up uh, one in russia and another one in the states because it's much easier uh, and i think than it's shipping. important to be local you know it's very important to have a local production and to source your ingredients locally and we're fortunate enough to be able to do it both in russia and in america and uh, when we started, we were very afraid of somebody copying us because this idea is pretty unique. And well, we do we did create it ourselves, and I, we were very worried. But uh, today, I realized that it you cannot copy lifestyle business. Nobody else can do it. It's gonna be something else. It's not gonna be the same way because only our family lives the way we live, right? So there is no point of doing the same thing. It was just it's not gonna be sustainable. I was actually thinking uh, about competition when you first mentioned ornaments. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have a feeling that you know a lot of people that heard that were like, "Oh yeah, I should sell ornaments." But then when they actually looked at your product, and like it's complicated, it takes a lot of effort, you know, and it's like it's not something you can just. I'll, you know, buy off of AliExpress or something. Right, right. And also when people come to markets and they see us, they hear the story, they get very excited about us actually making it and, and creating and like involving all the family. And I think especially in New York, people appreciate when it's locally made and when, it's, when it has a, you know, story behind it. Nobody wants just another ornament. Everybody wants a story. Yeah, I think these days it's becoming more important, uh, not actually what you're making, but actually how you're making it and how you're selling it and the whole way of selling and the platforms that you know and uh, all these suppliers, these are uh, as valuable as your own product and, and and the idea that you're carrying. Right, especially, for for example, markets. It's just, it's different it's a separate thing. You have to know all those little things, how your table is supposed to look like, how do you approach the customer, how do you follow up with them, and all that. That's just a different uh, field of expertise. I yeah, believe. it takes years to figure it out. Yeah. I think it's cool that you guys, I mean, essentially have an offline business. Right, but we run it online. Yeah, and this is something completely different. I mean, I think so many people who dream about traveling you know, or being a nomad, mm-hmm. we think... It has to be 100% right. online because, you know, we can't physically be somewhere, but you've just proven that you can. You can right. kind of have the best of both. I hate all those articles, 10 best online jobs to work remotely. It doesn't make, it does not matter what's the most well-paid job. If you don't like what you do, it's not going to work. The most valuable thing in life is motivation. What dri- what drives you, what, you know, what pushes you out of your bed in the morning. That's what is important and that's what you're supposed to look for. You're not supposed to look for another very nice thing to invest into, right? Or another very useful skill to have if you don't want to use it, if you don't know how to use it, right? Yeah, you should definitely just look in, inside yourself and find what you like uh, before you really want to hop off and travel. And, uh, well, I mean, it shouldn't be something that everyone else is doing because what we do when we tell people that we're selling Christmas ornaments, everyone's like, wow, this is this is a niche. Like, I've never heard anyone doing this. I didn't know that you could make money with it. But, I mean, I heard of people doing even more niche things. Uh, there's a guy I know that I met in San Francisco on one of the meetups, and uh, he told me, when I, when I asked him what he's doing, he said, oh, I'm making money. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, basically, he said, I'm making coins, the... Uh, the collect collectible coins uh, that countries uh, make when there's like the celebration or some holiday like or something or Olympics is happening in the country. So basically, he ha- he only has like what 200 clients in the world that he can sell to, and he still does a lot of money with it. Oh, that's cool. That's that's kind of a niche kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why we're very big on goal setting. We do set goals for 10 years, for five years, for two years, for a year, for each um, quartal. For each quarter, um, and uh, it's an actually a very useful tool for us as a as a couple, as a business partners, to still to stay synchronized. Even though we do travel everywhere together and we do run projects together, when we will um, have a review of uh, past year, and well, in this review you have to pick a trip of the year. And it's going to be different. It's going to be different for Nikita. It's going to be different for me. And for us, it helps us 
to be synchronized in where we're going together and whether we still want to do it together or maybe not and all that. So how is that like working together, living together, being in a you know in a house with dozen other people, like being together basically twenty four hours a day? Like any tips on that? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's not um, easy sometimes, uh, but there is a lot of growth in it for sure. And uh, I mean, I'm, I love it. I'm used to it. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't want to do it, right? I'm, I'm choosing whatever I want to do in life. And uh, I don't know. It feels like family. I'm, um, and Stacia is my partner and uh, she brings me all the ideas and we kind of like really work well together. And uh, what she just mentioned about goal setting, I think that's something that really helps us to stay on the same page. <laughs> what about you from, from you, Anastasia? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just I can say goal setting, goal setting, goal setting. And that's probably, that's actually, well, some people, you know, we do give lectures on goal setting and people will be like, what about spontaneous beliefs? What about like being spontaneous? What about being spontaneous? What about, you know, do you go on dates using your Google uh, spreadsheet? Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. Because that's important to be consistent, consistent in those things, and actually, that's another. That that's the reason why we came up with Smena Station again. We uh, reviewed pr- our current projects and we reviewed our current lifestyle, and we're like, okay, what is missing? Because we did feel like something missing, and it turned out that in, in ten, 10 years we're gonna be, we wanna be where we wanna be. We have to have this community of uh, like-minded people and uh, that's how we started it again yeah, with goal setting uh, basically the community gives us all the communication that we need all the instruments that we're missing when there's just the two of us because mm-hmm. there's still we need a, a third person view and some things we need a team sometimes to create some project we just need some proper deep communication uh, and even though we have it the two of us uh, it's really nice to have other people around and more consistent relationship with other people uh, and that's what we're trying to build uh, within the community I do think that other people is a mirror of who you are and actually when I do meet people which I don't really like or something you know disturbs me in that or triggers me I do think of them as opportunity for myself to grow I do believe that Nikita is a great partner because he uh, allows me to see myself more fully and to see my others, my sides, different sides of me, of myself. So that goes well with the 12 other people as well. But let me tell you, we are not, we're not living on, in Smena Station all year round. So we are running three sessions right now here mm-hmm. in the Valley Gamma. It's and, a third session, yeah. Right. And, but initially we built this project so it can totally work without us being involved every day so we have location in bali we've never been to bali we've never been to montenegro or berlin or where else we have all all of those places yeah malta uh yeah it's 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 an interesting lifestyle and we like it and we like being in a team and it's it's very inspiring uh but it's also very intense uh so um we uh often say to people that are coming to the project that uh, it's nice to change the location every once in a while. That's why we have a network because when you're changing the location, you're kind of like bringing a different vibe, bringing a different mood as well. And being in one place for so many sessions and so many ideas and so many people around you mm-hmm. is sometimes can even be a little bit more intense than you want. So I think the next step would be having one house with all those three week sessions running uh, one after another and then having a separate like number of buildings in one uh, place which will be dedicated to people who are staying for longer because you cannot i mean there are the dynamic is very different when you live together for three weeks or for three months Mm -hmm. yeah i I can definitely imagine that and i mean just the fact that it's like twin share where you know economically wouldn't make sense to have a 12-bedroom villa or something. Right. You probably can't even find it here in Sri Lanka. No. So, That's the biggest issue we have in every country is real estate. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess you're, you're just renting places for, like, a three-month contract or... For a year, perhaps. Yeah, year, sometimes sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's half a year. Yeah, basically we're renting it long-term to make it cheaper and also we're trying to make it 
um, really not like crazy ass expensive because we want the price uh, for each three-week session to be comparable to basically the price of you renting a room for yourself just like a not expensive room in the same area because for example in Sri Lanka uh, the three-week session is $250 and we're, if you're just renting a room it's usually gonna be like 10 or 12 bucks a day so which is basically the same but you're also getting all these uh, valuable things from the community and a lot of inspiration and all these workshops and, and just endless endless joy of living with other inspiring people so people do share a room so boys lives with live with boys and girls live with girls but it's we actually do it in purpose i do believe and i do see how you know all those grown-up people 30 like one 25 year old they're sitting like after 10 o'clock sitting in one in one in one bed chatting you know like all those inside jokes you will not experience it nobody will force you after 30 nobody will force you to share a room with somebody else but it does create very intimate relationship and very deep connections so people become friends like in uh, in, in in three days Again, that's why it's in sessions, that you can try it out, you see if it works for you, and you can get some inspiration, and that's why it's called a shift, a change, right? It's, it's, it's a change in your life that you can try out and see what happens. But there are also options of getting your own room in some of our locations. If uh, we have enough rooms that we can allow ourselves a separate bedroom for a person to rent, we, we do have it. We do have it in Thailand, and uh, we have it in uh, Bali as well in our location. Uh, it's just that it's very hard to find a really nice mm -hmm. and not expensive house with enough rooms with in any place we go to. the proper kitchen and the co-working space and everything. So I think we're looking into just buying land and building our own thing. Wow, that'd be cool. Yeah, or finding a developer that would build a co-living of our dream that we could just rent for 10 years or something like that. <laughs> it would be amazing. I actually think that's like the big next step for like companies like Remote Year where they were pretty smart in the beginning. They would just, you know, rent a place like month, month to month. And then after, their, I think their goal was, let's try to have 12 groups a year so that we can rent a place year round, which is much cheaper and more, more stable. You're not always looking for a place. <clears throat> and every month there's a new person or new group moving in. And then eventually, instead of renting it year round, they can just buy a, like, buy a whole building or buy a whole villa hmm. and then have people you know, basically paying off their commercial loan. And it's almost like the the McDonald's um, way of business model right. where the franchisees are basically paying for the land that McDonald's corporation owns. So McDonald's is actually making more money on the real estate. through real estate mm -hmm. than they are selling hamburgers or even franchises. Right. <clears throat> but I do think it's really cool to have, to see a kind of a nomad based company like a co-living company mm -hmm. buy or build i mean i never like i never thought that would that would happen because in general most digital nomads are we value you know freedom flexibility minimalism not owning anything living True. cheaply but this really is like the next level of it it's a big debate for us right now. Yes, as you said, we do see it both ways. We don't want to invest in real estate because that's kind of old school, you know, and there are other ways to uh, invest right now. And But still, you know, it, we do really want to have a comfortable space and be able to provide our attendees with a nice environment. Yeah. So when I actually looked at your site and the price list, I was actually shocked how cheap it was. Like, why is it so cheap? Like, why don't you just Well, that's more? another reason, right? So what happens, uh, I heard, <coughs> right, talking to all the uh, other co-living um, entrepreneurs and uh, people in the industry, that's what happens in the places who charge uh, 2500 for a month, right? You come there and it's very, the environment is very... Even? Like even right, it's very it's same basically same people with the same kind of job because nobody else can afford it. Right, there is no way somebody who's doing well. Well, what I, what I can say also is that um, it's uh, for us uh, we're not really trying to make money out of the whole thing because we were making money with the ornaments and that's our main source of income and uh, the value that we see in the community is uh, 
the people that we can uh, get from there and all the ideas that we can get from the people and all the new projects that we can come up with the people because uh, since the start of the uh, project in 2017 I worked with a dozen of people doing random like projects like we mined some cryptocurrency in Siberia and we started a another spin-off from the uh, co-working project that we have in Malta and it was just like so many cool ideas that this project brings that are more valuable than actually trying to make money out of it and also another reason is that uh, this whole uh, project was really inspired by our, by our trip to Burning Man in 2015 and uh, the whole gift-based economy and the whole sharing uh, with other people ideas um, basically um, tells us not really to to try to you know kind of like uh, make as much as possible and run away to another place but actually try to give something to the people and try also to bring uh, a lot of people into the community uh, and moreover uh, well right now you're saying that uh, the prices are are, are, are really cheap comparing to a lot of other projects. The first location we launched here in Sri Lanka in 2017 was actually donation-based. Uh, and we just invited people saying that, come to Sri Lanka, live for free, and if you like the project, you can just leave a donation after that and see how it goes. And uh, everyone was saying that, oh, you know, this donation-based model, it's, it's all working. bullshit, it's not going to work, you're not going to make any money, you're going to lose everything. Well, first of all, we just... Uh, basically, we came up with a number in our heads and calculated the amount of money that we're ready to spend. And if we're going to lose everything, it's not going to be a problem that, for right? us. Yeah. Uh, and then we, again, like we valued the people that we wanted to bring into the project. So we started this whole thing on donation and we had around 50 spots uh, that were available in a two month period. And we had uh, almost a thousand applications uh, just from Russians uh, that want to come to the project and be with us for uh, several two-week sessions and exchange the ideas. And it actually worked. Not only we made our money back that we invested in the beginning, but we actually made enough money to launch our next location uh, that was in Malta. And uh, it's it's been working since then uh, on a different model, not donation-based because we decided to change it. But still, it's, it's working. Right, and out of the hundred of hundreds of out of thousands of applications we chose you know best people out there we chose people who came we had very little idea what we were doing right we had some ideas and some i don't know instruments we picked up on our travels but we had no idea what we were doing so when those people came they actually they basically gave us all necessary information they told us how they want to see it what they want to experience from the project so we did exactly that you know and it's running since that it's running on the same kind of schedule and the same kind of framework framework i think that's really cool that's actually a really smart way to kind of mvp a new mm -hmm. project we did the same with the nomad summit the first year i had the idea where i wanted to have a conference for digital nomads and nobody in Chiang Mai was doing it. And I thought, okay, well, let me rent the seminar room. At most, I'll lose a few thousand dollars from mm -hmm. the room rental, even if nobody shows up. Uh, but let's just try it. And it, the first one was actually donation-based as well. Mm -hmm. And we ended up, you know, breaking even, but having maybe a little bit extra. And I was like, wow, this is actually really cool. Mm -hmm. And it was a really nice feeling. Like, it's a really cool feeling of, like, really building community. And it's, I guess it's a little bit unfortunate that like as we grow like we have more costs or fixed costs and we kind of have to move away from that model a bit right but it's still i think you know starting uh, a project starting a business with that model i think is a really smart move mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely a great one i think the wor word free sells the best way possible right yeah <laughs> so yeah our slogan was come to sri lanka and leave for free yeah, mm -hmm. and I can see why you got a thousand people <laughs> applying for it. Yep. <laughs> and it's funny because I think that, that in general, people would donate, you know, some people would donate more than they would have paid. Oh, definitely. You know, and then some people, you know, either you can't afford it or some people are just cheap, right? But it kind of gets offset. Um, I did a Vipassana. Mm -hmm. It's like a 10-day sign right, of meditation. Right, right. And that was donation-based. And, you know, even though in the beginning of it, you kind of like, okay, what's the, like least amount I can get mm -hmm. by the end of it if you're getting value from it yeah. then you're like okay you know what let's not be cheap let's mm -hmm. let's give them some money so they can 
continue doing this for other people. Mm-hmm. Right, and they ran like they ran in every country. Like there are several locations in every country where you can do vipassana that way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, of course, they do have bigger donors and all that, but still, it's that works. Yeah, and I also believe these projects are really teaching one very important thing is that the more you give, the more you're going to get back sometime later. So the whole giving economy, the whole donation-based economy, uh, it works because all these people that are learning that, well, I really want to contribute because the more I'm going to give right now, the more the life is going to give me in some random place, uh, it's going to give me all the things that I need. Right, but also coming back to goal setting, we didn't want to deal with the sheets and, you know, just hospitality business in general. We wanted to build a community. That's why, again, it's it's not expensive to come to Smena Station because we're looking into people. We're not looking into money. Yeah, I like that. And it's it's nice that you guys have a business that can financially support you. I think there's a lot of people who have good intentions and good dreams mm-hmm. and they just want to do a nonprofit or they want to just do an NGO. But if they have zero business sense and zero financial right. sense, they just can't do it. They don't have the time for it. You know, somebody else has to like take care of them. You know, mm-hmm. they can't even take care of themselves. So I think it's a, a nice mix of having enough business acumen, business sense, where we can support ourselves, mm-hmm. have some extra money, so then we can fund projects that help others. Right, but I mean, on the other hand, don't get me wrong, this project is sustainable, right? And the, even nonprofits are supposed to be sustainable. It cannot work just on donations or it, it has to, you know, pay the bill. And of course, we, we do get salary from which we pay ourselves, right, for the time we spend uh, working on Smena and Station. Same because, as administrators working on the locations. Right, because it's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, still, even like for nonprofits, that's what happens here in Sri Lanka. I think lots of, like, after the war, lots of nonprofits came giving people, you know, boats and supplies and all that kind of stuff. But it was basically working on donations. So when the crisis you know finished you know when this very dramatic events ended then they were just stuck with no help at all because it was not sustainable at the beginning so right now i think uh there are a lot of social businesses opening up in sri lanka where they do provide jobs right they do provide women with jobs uh so you know something small something you know handmade so they can sustain themselves and their kids yeah, building sustainable models, uh, that's what's important in any business, whether it's a nonprofit or it's a co-living or even if it's a community, being a sustainable community, building a sustainable community, that's what's uh, probably one of the biggest challenges right now with the whole uh, co-living industry and uh, trying to make it work. Uh, it's what we're, we're also trying to find ways of doing it through our project. Yeah, I, I think that's really smart that you brought that up, that it has to be self-sustainable. There's so many NGOs and nonprofits that I've come across, even when I was living in Chiang Mai, mm-hmm. that their business models just sucked. Mm-hmm. Like they had a, they had good intentions, they had good people working for them, but because they had no business sense, they were just reliant on the goodwill of other people and right. do- donors, and that eventually dries up. Right. And I, I remember there was one that was was helping. Um, like local villagers sell their handcraft items and i thought i was like oh this is really cool right but the way that they it would work is a volunteer would have to drive a motorbike for two hours to this village to pick up like a few items drive it back and then like you know try to sell it online and ship it you know and it would cost way more than like it was supposed to cost because it was so much effort and then the only way that and then like the all the volunteers, you know, they wouldn't get paid at all. They wouldn't even have their gas reimbursed, you know, and it was just like, it just wasn't going to last, right. you know? So I do think it's really important that in like the business, you know, whether it's a social business or a nonprofit, it has to give enough value, but also receive back enough, you know, value back from it or money back from it to continue it. Right. So yeah, right now I'm involved in, actually it's funny that you brought hat making, I'm involved in a charity who's helping, who's providing women with uh, work and we're making hats, so I design and then we make those design work and supply to stores and uh, local fairs and uh, actually we do have a margin which 
I mean, because it's already established uh, social uh, institute, then we're we're able to spend that margin on teaching uh, primary English to 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 little kids of the village. Yeah, that's cool. So you're giving back. You're providing jobs. You're teaching people a skill. You're providing a product that people actually want to buy. But more importantly, you know, it even with you know without people volunteering, it can keep going. Right. So I really like what you guys are doing, you know, uh, not only with your side projects, but also Samana Station and building the community out here. I do hope that, you know, this podcast helps connect some of the English speaking uh, nomad community and the Russian speaking nomad community. So like it's, yeah, this is, uh, I think this is kind of the start of, uh, the two worlds coming together <laughs> yeah i really hope so and yeah we'd definitely love to connect with anyone who's interested in uh, joining our community or uh, bringing smena station to any other places around the world or just you know to get connected with anyone who's interested in the whole co-living industry and digital nomadism because there is there's bright future in there there are a lot of more people uh getting a remote work and in the next several years uh, i think it's gonna blow up and so many works are gonna be uh, so many um, new opportunities to work remote is going to be open and there's more people coming to join our projects and other digital nomad co-livings around the world. So this mission of Smena Station is um, happy and healthy living for location and independent people as norm of life. So I think norm of life is actually what we stand for. I do believe that everybody if there is a will, you know, people, everybody can live. There is no uh, limitation. You can live this lifestyle, if, lifestyle if you choose to. Yeah, and we're all so fortunate that we were born in the age of the internet. Right. This is literally the first time in the history of the planet that we can work remotely from anywhere, and we can learn new languages. We can travel to different countries. We can take advantage of good weather year-round. Definitely. You know, get out of Siberia in <laughs> February or March, April. <laughs> and that we can, you know, earn a living no matter where we are. Right. So let's hope cable internet will come to Veligama and uh, digital nomadism will be normal flight. <laughs> yeah. And um, so big uh, thank you for everyone who's been listening. Uh, I would love to see all of you out here in Veligama in Sri Lanka or maybe at the next Nomad Summit. We're going to have our next one in Cancun, Mexico this October, and then again in uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand in January. Uh, I hope to see you guys out there as well as some of the Russian community. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, and if people want to reach out to you guys or check out Samana Station, check out your projects, how can they find you? Uh, Well, it's very easy. Uh, Through the website, uh, semenastation.com, S-M-E-N-A station.com. Uh, or uh, send us an email, again, uh, smenastation at gmail.com. You can reach us as well. We'd love to connect. Any social media, smenastation is the hashtag. Very cool. So we'll have some links to all those uh, in the show notes. Um, do you guys want people following you on your Instagrams or social media, your VK or anything? <laughs> uh, yeah, our, our project accounts, uh, that's enough, I guess. Pretty cool. So, uh, spasiba for coming, and <laughs> thank you, Johnny. Spasiba for listening, guys. See you somewhere in the world. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus "How to Choose the Perfect Niche" episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week, and remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So, start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. <laughs>